rightly or wrongly, I have a bit of a instinctive reaction that that positions beer as a you know second class citizen. And welcome to episode 436 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 5th of October, 2023. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, and I am joined by my good friends and colleagues, Ian Watson and Sabrina Kunz. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hey, Ian. Hey, Matt. How are we? Good week? Good week so far. It's intense. I'm getting the neighbours are putting a pool in and as a consequence they've destroyed my backyard and so all my my once serene home office is just um, the sound of a construction chucks reversing and cement being poured and I can't wait to get back to my <laughs> serene home office. I just, I mean, that's, that's funny. It's funny you say that. I don't even have any excuses like that. I just don't feel very serene at the moment and it's probably, uh, <laughs> come, you know, I'm just... Uh, so even when I, I sleep well, I'm not sleeping well. Um, you know, there's just a, a lot going on in, in the industry. I was going to say, Matt, it's funny because that's what I was thinking. I was like, it feels there's like so much going on. And yet the sort of the stuff that's bubbling to the surface is such a tiny sliver of like what's actually yes. going on, the conversations yes. that are being had, the issues that are there. But just like a sliver kind of makes it makes it to the top right now. I, well, that, and that's the funny thing because I described it to somebody this week as you know, like I just have sit in a position. Um, actually, it was I, I was in, I was on the other side of a microphone being interviewed by the uh, Australian Beer Voyage ABV um, uh, podcast with Adzi, um, who's a well-known Brisbane beer identity, and uh, he and uh, Joel have a video podcast, and they interviewed me, and they were sort of talking about it, and I just was you know saying, I, I think on mic. Um, that, you know, it's funny where we sit in the industry, you know, doing news, we are the focal point for so many media releases that come through, you know, where people are promoting something that are very positive and, um, you know, salesy because that's what they're, they're designed for. So they're very positive. They're, isn't this awesome? This is great. We're thrilled. We're proud. And that's one part of what we get but then i've been having you know i I don't know how many hours i spent on the phone with on conversations this week um you know with some very very hard you know conversation you know very 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 difficult conversation to have with people who are finding you know things very very difficult and it's been you know an extended period of that and i just feel like i'm operating in two completely different worlds um and yet it is the same one and uh, you know so i find you know talking about you know caring for yourself and things like that i'm looking forward to having you know we're into october finally i'm looking forward to having some time off over christmas um and we're just planning how i can actually manage to hopefully completely get away and uh, re-energize but i'm sure there are a lot of people like that again not it's certainly not woe is me you make some time. Get some massages in Vietnam, Matt. Get some, have some relaxation time in <laughs> Vietnam. Well, uh, yeah, well, but yeah, that, that is, I'm, I'm off. So we've got uh, Brew Asia coming up in two weeks and uh, heading over. There's a. It sounds like there's an increasing number of people going over to that. So it's going to be interesting. It's funny the people that you don't see in Australia, but do seem to meet up um in on foreign shores so uh yeah I, I don't know that looking at my schedule i'm not sure there's gonna be much time for too much r and r um but uh anyway let's 
talk a little bit about uh, the news of the week. And it, yeah, again, talking about things bubbling up, there hasn't been too much. There have been a couple of promotional stories that you know we often don't um, cover as news, but every now and then they do seem to, you know, they're a little bit more than just promotional. Um, and one of those is uh, Clayton Hops launches advanced hop product range. New Zealand's largest hop grower, Clayton's Hops, has launched a suite of advanced hop products designed to cater to the brewing industry's evolving interest beyond standard hop pellets. The new range includes fresh hop oils, a thiol precursor powder, and cryogenically produced concentrated hop pellets. The company will also soon be releasing a range of hop pellets infused with the thiol precursor powder. In a statement from the company, CEO Brian Clayton said the family-owned grower saw immense potential in diversifying beyond standard hop pellets. And uh, I'm going to actually let Ian talk about this from a technical element. But the, the reason that I saw this as being particularly relevant is, you know, one of the things as an industry that we really look at is trying to demonstrate, you know, for a whole range government and a whole range of, um, you know, areas the importance of the industry financially that it's not just you know a good times industry it's a you know an, an income and employment um you know and there's a lot of positive benefits and you know seeing an individual hop grower um, who incidentally is part of the new zealand hops uh you know co-op but doing this and investing you know from a fairly small country um i, I saw that as really really significant um any thoughts on that before ian talks us through a little bit about you know the the, the evolving interest beyond standard hop pellets oh look i think um you know, I've often used the relationship and the investment into hops by New Zealand and and New Zealand hops, but hops in New Zealand um, as one of the things that allowed the story of New Zealand beer to be so um, significantly told overseas. And I think we're seeing this move from Clayton Hops. We're also seeing um, Garage Project's Harpy um, start to do some interesting things with new farms mm. um, further south on the South Island. So, so essentially testing the question of terroir on some um, some hop varietals. And so, I think that ongoing research. Um, I think you, Matt, interviewed Ron Beetson at some point. Um, and, and we talk about, you know, innovation in the brewing industry starts with twenty years ago Gee, <laughs> in hop way research. Back in March. Yeah, that was a while ago. But his points was, you know, like we're testing varietals over 20 years and we really got into, well, that's innovation for the industry. And so I think ongoing investment um, in hops, be it in, in this case in New Zealand hops and those long-term plays around innovation are critical for um, A, the story of beer New Zealand or beer Australia and craft beer. So I think, you know... Um, this is strong and positive. Yeah, look, this is something I'm really looking forward to to working with. Uh, I haven't had a look over much of the specs and what the varieties are fully going to be yet. I only just saw this news today. Uh, I'm a big fan of New Zealand hops. Uh, and for about three years, I worked for a brewery where we only used New Zealand hops. So I got uh, pretty familiar with them uh, during that period then and, and still carry on working with them. Um, and for the longest time, any of the more advanced hop products, anything uh, apart from uh, whole hop um, or T90 pellets, we've really only been able to get from the Northern Hemisphere, so T45s or um, hop oils or uh, the cryogenically produced 
uh, hop pellets that have come become popular over the last five or so years have been from all northern hemisphere varieties. So it's great to see uh, some hub of the hemisphere stuff. This doesn't mean the end of traditional um, uh, uh, whole hops or T90s because they'll still most likely in most products be used um, conjunctively. Because I found myself from the cryogenically produced um, hot pellets. If you lose use those exclusively, the beer does seem to lack something, and it, it, that something comes from the other vegetative matter that we're removing with it. But certainly, um, the use of the two together in different ratios um, can bring about some um, uh, some wonderful flavor profiles, and in Importantly, in commercial production, can bring about some savings through um, uh, efficiencies. So you lose wort or beer, depending on whether it's in the kettle or it's through dry hopping. You lose wort or beer every time you add hops into them. And these more advanced hop products uh, cut that down, or in some cases, actually almost totally uh, eliminate that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, to getting to to have a play with these and and seeing what can be done as I'm sure many other brewers are. Excellent. The other actually the other thing that I've just don't reflect on is you know again talking about the change in the discussion around beer you know 15 years ago you know it was uh, what was it uh, small independent traditional um, was the definition of craft beer and we used to love you know debating what it meant and you know when people rocking malt water hops yeast t-shirts um and you know advanced hop products or hop extracts were derided as being you know a, a, a big brewer's uh tool and, and, and a negative despite having a lot of production benefits and uh it, it, it's really interesting to see the way that the industry has evolved and grown that it's actually seeking out um you know aids brewing aids like this that help refine the brewing process um, for a whole range of uh, you know production benefits yeah there's two aspects to that Matt. Uh, the the um, hop oils essences etc etc when I first started in the industry were pretty crude in comparison to what we've got now and the flavor profile from them really wasn't um, desirable in large amounts in um uh in the beer that maybe many of our listeners enjoy um consuming but they have advanced a long way from there it's also a sign of a little bit of maturity um and reality in the uh industry as well that we realize that okay we're not just that plucky um person throwing everything out there we've we've got to think about how we can be most efficient um and there's nothing wrong with uh efficiency efficiency doesn't and never should mean cutting corners efficiency is about making everything in the best possible way and if you can get extra uh beer from a tank um why not do that there's also because of the in the pursuit of hoppiness um we're always looking for more and more and there's only so much t90 you can or, or whole flowers you can you can throw at a beer um you just can't get any more from it uh it's um uh, diminishing returns and they're actually there's been some wonderful research into looking at those diminishing returns um and finding aromatic drop-offs that people are actually getting to the point of 
X amount of dosage and then going beyond that, they're actually finding uh, limitations to it. You can also bring in other flavor profiles that you may not be looking for, whereas with some of these more advanced hop products, but still hops, um, you can get that. However, if people are still wanting to be really traditional um, and go for it, that's that's fine too. Um, you know, I, I always think that there's innovation should be based on tradition and that's how we learn and grow and not just um, jump 10 steps ahead of ourselves and not learn along that along that path. I, I, was, I was saying it as a positive thing that we are embracing. You know, there was an instinctive, reflective approach in the early days that, you know, anyone, you know, the, that's why it was called craft brewing because people were going back to, you know, barley and hop, you know, you know, hops as close to um, their true form as, as they could use them. And, you know, we're celebrating those sorts of things. Whereas these days, you know, God, quite apart from adjuncts being not only embraced, but, you know, hyped, um, the, 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 the use of a whole range of techniques that probably once upon a time would have been, you know, side-eyed at best. Uh, you know, it, it's great. And the thing we haven't talked about that I think, you know, jumped off um, the plate for me is, um, and what are the cost benefits, right? So at a time when craft breweries are so pinched, if you can make X amount of hops with some other enhancers, I'll use that phrase, or other tools, um, you know, is can, can you make a good quality beer that meets the flavour profile you're after more cheaply, right? And mm. I just went, that's a reality. So your point, Matt, around sort of, the craft beer revolution and the craft beer I look at the current economic climate we're in and we're going how do small breweries continue to make really interesting beers in a, in a way that they can afford to sell it to the consumer for what they're willing to pay and innovations like this um, that enable brewers to get the most out of the inputs um, is one innovative tool that will that will help for that as well as cost side there too Sabrina is also brings about potential stability um, uh, uh, enhancements. Yeah, that's good. So there was a product that came on the market in the last 18 months or so. I can't remember exactly when. Um, it was a flowable, basically dry hop replacement um, uh, extract. It was made completely from hops. Uh, it was just 100% hops. And but on the and it would have had the benefit of not uh, getting the same losses through uh, in in beer. However, I did the um, based on the manufacturer's um, recommendations. I did the uh, a cost analysis on it and what we would lose um, and what we would gain from it. And actually, yeah. found it was still way more expensive for us. Oh, interesting. And so at the time, I, I thought, okay, I can't see the benefit of using this. But then I thought about it one of the benefits for it was there was no enzymatic activity associated with this product. So if you use it in sake of dry hopping, you would run less risk of, um, or should run no risk of, of dry hop creep. Um, or if you were making a non-alcoholic beer um, or, or low, very low alcoholic beer from one of the yeasts that um, uh, have a stunted fermentation, uh, and having done that myself uh, and having a beer pull up at... Um, 0.5% alcohol and then dry hopping it and it jumps forward another 1% because of the enzymatic activity of um, adding the dry hops, whereas this product would be able to get around it. And so then you'd have a more stable product. And naturally, in the case of that non-alcoholic one, it'd have to be pasteurized. But in others, uh, it would be something for shelf stability and, and for quality is um, over and above um, any cost benefits from it. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm going to be so smart soon. <laughs> yeah, this is why we could have a brewer on the podcast. Um, 
The only other thing that I thought that I, I again I really think is worth celebrating again is this is a family business in New Zealand. Um, you know, outside of their involvement in the co-op, investing because they see a future in brewing. You know, so there is significant investment that they're making. It's you know developing um, you know IP around that. And uh, something I was speaking to Ian earlier today about was in Brisbane, there's a new canning line manufacturer. And I think it's the only canning lines manufactured in Australia. And I'd been holding off doing a story for a while because anything new, you don't want to be seen. You know, again, it's very hard to cover something without looking like it's in some ways an endorsement, but it's a machine that a couple of Brisbane breweries have been using now. Um, but so I'm, I'm watching that very closely. But again, when we as an industry go to government at a time, and we'll come to this later, um, at a time when alcohol is increasingly under scrutiny, having you know manufacturing industries you know created to uh, support the industry, you know that's jobs, it's investment, it's you know manufacturing onshore. There's a whole range of benefits that the brewing industry brings um, that we can point to, and you know th- that's where investing in you know whether it's hop extracts or canning equipment or you know the many initiatives that we've seen, you know tourism operations that are growing up around this little in, this little industry of ours, it's a really, really powerful uh, statement to government on why, you know, they should support us and not just constantly, you know, grind it down under the weight of regulation. Oh, look. Yeah, we'll come to the weight of regulation shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's enough about In my uh, next products. topic. <laughs> yes, we, we'll, we will move on. Um, okay, the, the W... How, how does everyone say this? WSET or WSET? WSET is all I say. WSET. Wine uh, and Spirit is, Education Trust, which I think yes, it says the world's everything. the largest provider, so they say, again, I, I didn't fact check that, of drinks education is to launch two new beer qualifications, Level 1 Award in Beer and Level 2 Award in Beer from February 2024. The new beer qualifications, uh, they say, will set the global standard for tasting and education in the beer category. Um, I haven't actually published this yet. This is straight from their media release. Um, I do have some additional reporting to add I haven't gotten around to yet. But by the time this podcast, you'll be able to read it. Um, they've been created by WSET's product development team, led by Sarah Hobday, head of product development, and supported by Morella Amato, senior business development manager, uh, beer, WSET America's world-renowned beer educator and consultant, and one of only 22 master Cicerones, which I thought quite interesting. Um, now, as I said, I did follow up because, again, anything that makes greater service and hospitality training for beer um you know available is awesome but there wasn't a lot of detail about the actual courses other than it just being a very very highly self-promotional media release and i followed up with a couple of questions um jane lewis of two birds is working uh for them um in addition to her newly established consulting business so i believe that might mean jane is performing some of the training um I did ask about cost because the media release was silent about that. And the reply I got was, this is a good question and one that doesn't have a straightforward answer. The pricing for the courses will offer slightly, will differ slightly from approved course provider school to school. So it sounds like, it almost sounds like they license the courses um, when I read that. 
So we can't give you a definitive figure at this stage. To give you a ballpark figure, um, the London School, for example, a, I think a level one wine course online was the equivalent of about 350 to $400 Australian. And then the level one in person was about 500 Um so you know it's it, it's not cheap um, for courses. Now, when I looked at the level one and level two uh, courses, it sounds like they're a lot less technical than Cicerone or some of the other training. So it's it's kind of level one sounds very much enthusiast. If you're a you know a beer drinker that know like know a little bit more, um, and it says uh, the WSET focus on production process and linking to characteristics has less focus on history, especially when compared to Cicerone. This means that, for example, at level one, we introduce a simple version of the brewing process and cover 20 styles. At level two, we build a more in-depth brewing process and cover around about 60 styles. So, yeah, it, it, it sounds like there's it's very distinct from Cicerone. Um, and I've had a couple of people say that at that level, the wine and spirit courses do tend to be a little bit more enthusiast than professional. But some of those same people who are involved in you know various education um trainings also you know acknowledge that anything is good um and the wset does have quite a good cachet in the wine and spirits industries which will hopefully um you know encourage people that are in that uh you know ecosystem to get beer certification as well so so that's probably an easy sell but on that i did also ask the question are there any plans to change the WSET name to reflect the inclusion of beer as a focus, um, because you know that's been something over 20 years has been a bugbear. Whenever you see, um, oh, we'd love you to come along and present at our wine and food, you know, fair, um, and so well, you're going to change it to wine, beer, and food, or and uh, the answer to that is no. There's no plans to to currently do that. Which again, I think, you know rightly or wrongly i have a bit of a instinctive reaction that that positions beer as a you know second class citizen um in terms of training but you know we'll, we'll wait and see i think it's great um that we have this in the wset this was uh i remember first hearing talk of this a long time ago uh and it never came about um but wset there was some industry consultation before COVID. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what we were looking at, and I th- so I think uh, COVID probably put paid but to the, the more bodies we have, more respected bodies, the WSCT certainly is very respected, uh, doing things like this are fantastic for the advancement of beer and fantastic for the advancement of beer. Even if these are more entry level, having servers, people that have maybe done um, wine or spirits courses through there, uh, that are working in the industry, brushing themselves up with a little beer is 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 great, and it's a first step. And they'll probably introduce more advanced courses over time as well. So, big supporter to it. Um, yeah, re- really, really like it. I look forward to seeing it um, roll out, and hopefully, it's another little link, another little uh, stepping stone in that path to um, a better perception of beer. I have much more mixed feelings about it. Um... So, you know, in all the time that I've been involved in sort of associations around beer, there is always someone wanting to create a program that is concerned more with the monetary benefit of being paid to roll out a program than the impact of that program itself. Um, And there's lots of little training providers 
throughout Australia that claim to have beer courses. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of them in New Zealand. Um, and while Wesset is um, highly regarded when it comes to wine, um, and certainly I think the people that have contributed to the creation of this course are highly regarded, I read this and I thought this is a dollar play. This, is, th- th- this isn't because there is some metric by which they're... It's not an investment uh, in the industry. It's a leveraging off the industry. That's right. So this is not, and I just flag and and I'm getting a bit ragey, but like <laughs> you, you click on Wesset Global, thanks to our partners, Campari, Diageo, um, Pernod Ricard, Tesco's, um, Moe. There is not a single beer-focused uh, entity in the group that is the key partners for delivering um, and funding the Wesset program. Now, maybe that's just because these are the global players who have money, but I just... Well, Diageo do own um, one of the biggest name in beers in Guinness, the world. Yeah. Um, and maybe this is the point. Maybe it is the WCT. Maybe it allows it. Maybe some beer sponsor come on board and, and start to make more that way. And I, and I do think, like, it is a moneymaker, but as all these courses are, unless they're run by the IBD, um, they're they're all about someone making making a dollar for themselves. Cicerone's a, a, a private business as well. But even the IBD, um, Ian, in my capacity as the executive director of the Brewers Guild, I tried to engage very heavily with the IBD around getting their qualifications benchmarked against New Zealand qualifications or getting them delivered through an entity that would allow benchmarking for um, participants, right, which is in the best interest of young people coming into the industry that they would get a qualification that they would be able to say is equivalent to a whatever, a diploma or whatever. And the IBD had no interest in participating in that because they want to deliver the courses to make the money for the IBD. There wasn't an interest in, well, what are the pathways of education for the individual user or the or the thing that would then make it attractive for people who may not want a 40-year career in, in brewing but may want to do a component. And so I found the whole thing very, very complex to navigate. And in Australia, we're having these conversations around you know, we can't get Cert 3 off the ground. Cert 3 is off the ground over here but not in this state. Uh, is the Cert 4 equivalent in this state and the IBD is doing a whole host of work. And I go, well, these programs like WESET come in, but where is there a measure of impact on the beer industry or, or what is the reporting that we're going to get out to say as a result of of WESET rolling out this program, 6,000 sommeliers that were never previously trained are now trained. Like I just find and because this isn't leveraged by industry or done in conjunction with an industry body uh, and I'm just using Wesset as an example but it's the same quite frankly for the TAFEs it's the same for IBD it's the same for Cicerone what's privately owned same for I mean there's lots of online courses available at the moment in beer and yes everybody get trained is a tick but how are we kind of going well who's got that training and what does it mean and what's it equivalent to and how do we leverage that and and the career pathing and what does this mean for employers should you be paying for it for your employees is it all of that stuff there isn't sort of all of the 
the, the support that goes around this when I look at the beer industry as a whole and, and when I come back to what has been the challenge for the beer industry versus wine, for example, in Australia, it's that they've had all of this infrastructure around all of the things they're doing and we, and we just don't have that. And so um, I read this and rolled my eyes um, and just because of the reasons that I've articulated I, the flip side is the point that you've made, um, both of you have made, which is maybe this is the entry level um, because it's being delivered by Wesset, uh, sommeliers see it as something that is credible, that they already know, and it's their pathway into beer. That is a great outcome um, to increase beer knowledge. We've seen other people um, who are Cicerone certified saying, look, I'm going to take the courses and figure out what the difference is and then I'll have an opinion about it. Um, but I just come back to go, I would really like to understand what the investment into Australian beer industry is at an impact level and how it fits with everything else that we're doing. And I would love um, Wesset to be on that journey with industry um, going forward. Absolutely. But I think that's part of us as the industry is that we've got to be the ones that drive that. So we've got to, this course will go nowhere if we don't drive that as an industry and encourage um, people uh, to do this course, either people in the beer industry or people in adjacent in wine or in hospitality to, to do that and encourage and show that we, we support it. And uh, so the, the IBD is the closest we have to a real body um, and they had their own for a while there. I was actually involved and worked as a trainer uh, with them on that. That kind of fell by the wayside. I was disappointed in in that um, because I thought being the IBD, being the peak the peak body, uh, it was an industry point that we could we could focal around and um, potentially use for benchmarking later on because that is a really valid thing, Sabrina for um, doing some of the other university courses in comparison to doing the IBD qualifications um there, there's many other impacts that that can have on you and things that they can use depending on what what way your career path moves but for something like this i think if we're going to maximize it we can't just let wset um be offering it and that's the end to it we've got to be encouraging people congratulating people that do it and saying yeah that's a great and important thing and then we've got to be monitoring it ourselves as the wider industry to make sure that it's relevant to um, what the industry is doing, what the industry needs, and then be constructive in our feedback for how it can keep abreast and how it can keep relevant and how there can be uh, next level courses up from from there. Nice. I don't <laughs> don't, don't have to say anything. I, I, I like this. Uh, now, okay, so that's uh, WSET. Um, now, interesting one, not really news as such, but I'd love to get your thoughts on because I've you know had a couple of interesting conversations uh, about this. Um, the IBA yesterday sent out an email um, ahead of the referendum um, about the voice to parliament uh, with one of, I think, the lead of the People and Diversity Project group, uh, Luke Cooper. He provided just some question and answers uh, about the referendum and, you know, just some of the comments. I don't know about what you guys have heard, but the sorts of things I've heard are, you know, this isn't something the IBA should be involved in. It's up to individuals. Um, you know, the, the ever-present, uh, it's divisive. 
Um, I recorded a quick chat with Luke um, about it, so I might even play that first um, because I, again, I thought that it was terrific, um, and I, I told him that I just want to get his thoughts on the background to it. So this is just a couple of minutes uh, of my chat with uh, Luke Cooper. Yeah, so the IBA actually came to me uh, and and asked about um, what stance should the IBA take with its members and itself with regard to the referendum. And um, I, I, I said maybe not take a stand, but let's give all of the IBA members and everyone who, who reads the, the document that I put out today, um, give them the chance to, to answer some of those questions themselves and to make up some of those decisions for themselves and their own businesses. Something that really stood out for me, um, because it's something that I've not seen specifically addressed, um, was... There was a question that you answered, if I vote no, am I racist? And so much of the dialogue has been framed to suggest that if you vote no, you are racist, which I think is really, really divisive and you know upsets people because I don't think, you know, no one wants to be even, <laughs> even if you are. But I, I, th- I thought the way that you answered that and encouraged people to, you know, vote the way that they wanted, but be informed you know, it was a really, really powerful statement that was really inclusive. Like, I, you know, which sounds funny when we're talking about this issue, but I thought it was a really inclusive way to to state your case. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to influence uh, anyone's voting in any any particular way. I do say which way I go in the document, but um, I, I just wanted to give that information and and um, just just encourage people to do whichever decision you make for you, your business, um, just to do it from a place of knowledge. Um, there are some links there included um, that uh, are worth having a look at. Like I've even looked at the uh, the Fair Australia No website myself and, and had a look at some of the things that they were, were saying. And I just I just wanted to give the information there for, for everyone to be able to make up their own mind, basically, because that's that's the whole idea of the referendum. It's a it's an education piece. Um, I think it's a really important piece, uh, but I don't. I don't think um, everyone has all the information, and um, it's out there. You just have to, you know, do some research yourselves. Mate, quite apart from the the, the, the referendum, um, you are, as you said, working on the uh, you know in, in working with the I, I, IBA. Um, to offer a lot, a lot of advice. You know, what, what what are some of the really simple things that breweries can implement to, uh, you know, be more thoughtful and inclusive? Yeah, we're we're um, with with the um, People Diversity and Culture Group uh, project group for the IBA. Um, we're looking at um, getting all of the tools for the breweries who are asking those exact exact questions. So, you know, how can I make my workplace more inclusive? It's you know, it might be even down to your interviewing techniques and asking questions that might not necessarily need uh, asking, or um, recognizing the the land that you're on in in all of your documentation, um, having a a wrap, a, a reconciliation action plan in your business. Um, they're they're actually not very expensive, and um, they they can be really helpful uh, to your business. But um, having unisex toilets as well, you know, that's something that helps your workplace be more inclusive. So there's um, there's lots of things that we're working on and we're going to try and 
share that information with the uh, IBA members um, as an ongoing thing. It might be, you know, you know, once a once a quarter we we um, get some more information and, and share it. Um, and we just want to be a tool there to help uh, the IBA members in um, and the and the the beer industry as a whole just be better. And um, and we're just trying to help the whole industry be better. Terrific. Well, mate, congratulations on on, on all of that. And as I said, you know, it's a it, it's a fraught thing putting your name to something, uh, you know, like the uh, email that went out from from the IBA. But uh, congratulations for, for for the way that you did it. I, I thought it was really really uh, you know thoughtful and uh, something that the, the industry needed to hear. Congratulations. Thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks. Oh, thanks for reaching out too. I, I really appreciate the words that you sent me as well. Um, I'm not a journalist, so my words aren't always uh, as eloquent as yours. But um, I, I just, I just want to be there to help people who have who have got those questions, and um, and that's what the IBA is there for. It's to to help people. So uh, that's to help its members, of course. So that's why I'm here. Terrific. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. And. Yeah, look, as I said to Luke, you know, I thought this is such a vexed um, topic that has got so much uh, debate going on. And I thought for somebody who supported the vote, um, the the constitutional change himself, but it was a really even-handed and balanced statement, Um, you know, basically telling people to inform yourselves. And I, I really liked... The, the the answer you know if I vote no am I racist um, because and and he said no so long as you inform yourself and you make it that decision from a position of information um, because I've found that you know whilst there has been very strong views on either side I find sometimes the yes um, campaign or the the very strong advocates for the yes campaign often you know it's just left almost that if you vote no then you're a racist and whether or not people are or not i think there are a lot of people who are scared for a whole range of reasons or uncertain for a whole range of reasons and telling them that if they are considering voting no they're racist is actually a really that is actually a divisive um thing that is more likely to drive them into the no camp than take them along as, you know, uh, you know on, on the journey to yes. And I thought, Luke, you know, it was a really mature and thoughtful um, thing that he provided. And it ultimately didn't involve the IBA coming down either way. But as an association that's looking at increasing diversity and inclusion in the brewing industry, it was a really excellent lead to make people feel heard and included in the conversation. And that can only ever be a good thing, however you want to vote. I, I think it was a really well-written, very well-written uh, piece. Yeah, and, and did address some things in a very uh, considered way. Um, and I, I think it is, um, some people saying, yeah, it's not the IBA's role to. I think it is because I think the IBA is part of our community as the beer community and as part of our community as Australia and if we are discussing matters we need um, it's nice to hear positions from all sorts of, of parts of our community and uh, so that everyone can make their decision from there and I thought this was a really well written really um, yeah very well addressed by, by, by Luke. 
Yeah, I'm going to, um, so I'm speaking in my personal capacity, not in anything related to the IBA. Um, I think we talk about beer being the the drink that we have socially where we can kind of come together to discuss difficult topics. And in fact, uh, you know, Matt and I have been making the point that actually, you know, from a, the, some of the positives is beer is that you'd go down to your local pub and you'd run into people that you wouldn't necessarily be mates with, but because they're sort of humanised people that you might see, um, you think of them as part of your community. So I think um, as, you know, the very nature of our industry is something that um, – requires I think the IBA to come out with some information on this you know we are all discussing it ourselves there are members of our um, community who are very um, advocating very heavily pro we've seen activities undertaken by some breweries Um, so I think this is sort of a national topic of discussion and you know coming together over a beer to have that discussion is sort of from my perspective, kind of all about what beer is about. So I sort of, that's the framing that I have here. I think um, if uh, Luke has become one of the most prominent Indigenous um, brewers in our industry and for him to actually put himself on the line like this and put this information Mm. out there knowing that people would have varying views I think is quite brave and shows strong leadership and I think it's incumbent upon the IBA as an association to support um, a diverse range of views and I think both of you have made the point that actually Luke was very even-handed in saying here is the range of information. Please ensure that you're informed. But here's my personal point of view. And, and the, the flip side is that personally, um, so, you know, I'm an immigrant to Australia. I moved over here when I was five. Um, my parents are both of European background. So I have enjoyed uh, the privileges of um, being Australian, not by virtue of birth, but actually by virtue of sort of signing a pledge and coming along. And my father, when he passed away two years ago, one of the um, core things um, that he wanted said at his funeral was to thank Australia for the life that it had given him. Um, and so I sort of am so uh, grateful that I feel like uh, this referendum has the opportunity for Australia to be a leader in the world in the way things are done. And so I'm very, very pro um, personally. And so when I read this from Luke, I'm I'm the type of person who was like, oh, I would have pushed it, right? I would have pushed it. And so that's my personal opinion. But what Luke did um, and, and what the IBA did in giving this a platform was actually say, we're not pushing an agenda either way. We're not saying one is good and one is bad. We're saying here is the information so that you can all inform yourselves and have a discussion over a beer um, in terms of what it means for you. And I think if the IBA can't weigh in or provide information on topics that are a national conversation, then actually it ceases to be relevant as an organisation. So, um, you know, I, I think it was both necessary, brave um, a, a, and hopefully useful for people. Well well said, everyone. Um, now, Sabrina, I'm just leaving this one to you. This is oh. almost like IBA corner, this one. An email has just come out um, 
looking at defining added sugars for claims. I'm just going to hand this over to you to explain and then Ian to maybe explain the explanation. This is one where I will put my IBA hat on mostly because I did the drafting um, on behalf of the IBA and its members in relation to this topic. So this topic is the IBA has just made a submission on behalf of its members in relation to a consultation by Food Standards Australia New Zealand for ZANS in relation to the definition of added sugars for the purposes of making no added sugar claims. Um, this is a public consultation that was released um, a couple, maybe a week ago, and is due um, and closes on Sunday, the 8th of October. When we first picked up this uh, open consultation, you might have thought that added sugars doesn't really impact beer or wasn't intended for beer. Um, and this definition wasn't intended for beer. But as we dug into the material, and I'll try and explain it as simply as I can for something that is as complex as it is, there are four pieces of ongoing consultation relating to labels that impact the beer industry. We have carbohydrates and sugar claims, which is the one that IBA members just submitted on a few weeks ago. We have energy labelling, which was submitted on earlier in the year and we don't have the outcome of yet. We had a piece of um, consultation prior to added sugars that was called something along the lines of sugar labelling in nutrition information panels. And then we had the pregnancy labelling. Added sugars, it was clear in the call for submissions document, the intention is that the step after defining added sugars is a consideration by Fazans on how added sugars will be included in nutrition information panels. Listeners might be thinking, we don't care, nutrition information panels aren't required on all beers. They are are required on beers making uh, currently making sugar and carbohydrate claims and the call for submissions in this case has made it clear that the definition of added sugars will be wrapped into the regulation around carbohydrate and sugar claims. So if your beer wants to make a carbohydrate or sugar claim, the definition of added beers you'll now need to sort of comply with or understand. Secondly, under the energy labelling consultation that has closed but we're waiting for an outcome, one of the key goals of that consultation was to see whether energy would be required to be made available in a nutrition information panel on label for all alcohol products, which would include beer. The falling dominoes of this and why this is so relevant, and I'm sorry that it's so wonky and complex, but essentially means... In a nutshell, if we don't get the definition of added sugars right today, in three years' time when every beer has a nip on it, you will we will be required to address the question of what is added sugars. We should get the definition right now. The IBA's submission says we don't think this should apply to beer, but in the event that it does apply to beer, we need to be really, really clear about what uh, added sugar means in the context of a product made using fermentation. The current definition in the document, and you will see all throughout the submissions by uh, the IBA, it does not address the issue of fermentation at all. So it just includes malt as a sugar. 
Now, that obviously doesn't work for us. How as an industry could we ever have a nutrition information panel that clearly communicates to consumers both the energy uh, in a beer if we're having to show the energy of alcohol but also all added sugars pre-fermentation? So it's extraordinarily complex um, in terms of the way all of these things come together. What is important for industry to, I think, to understand is we've got to get the definition of added sugars correct if it is going to apply to beers. It is essential for us that it is correct if we want any hope of small businesses, small breweries being able to implement what seems to be, uh, you know, the likely outcome of this, which is at some future point in time, um, nutrition information panels will be required on beers. And when I say on beers, again, the IBA's position is um, they shouldn't be required on label. They should be required through digital linking. Um, And if you read the submission, there's some pretty cogent reasons for what that will mean just for the industry. Um, So what are the takeaways? And then I'll throw to you guys for any questions. Um, Please, please, A, read the submission B, um, follow the email that you will have received. It's got some instructions on how to have your voice heard. You need to complete an online form. Um, Fazanz has changed up the process on us to make it harder. Um, complete the online form. We've given you a cut and a paste guide. So cut and paste the text into the form and then um, up- upload your own, upload the form upload a submission uh, with your own context and information in it as well. And the more IBA members that do that, um, the more will be heard on this topic and they'll understand just how important it is. Um, But it's really complex. So if you don't have your time to get your head around it, that's what the IBA is for. That's why why the IBA has spent the time writing this. Um, But every additional voice um, lends power um, to the cause. Hope that makes sense, guys. (laughs) You can see my brain working trying to explain that in a way that makes sense. Unfortunately, the most, you know, these important issues aren't always like there's there's no way that we're able to uh, make that into a hypey hook uh, to listen to the podcast. But oh, look, I wish I could. People do need to hear it. I just wish I could make this more simple, but I can tell you, you know, I don't know how. No, you can't. But it's it's. I don't know how many pages. I mean, I spent, um, so listeners understand, you know, considerable time consulting with brewers, including Ian, on like, hey, Ian, this just doesn't make any sense. How is this possible? And trying to really pass apart, what does it mean on the ground? What is it? What, what are these things that people draft up in a room that they think, what does this mean practically? And how can we do this practically in our businesses? Um, and, and trying to pass that apart and then send it back to government in a way that makes sense. Yeah, from what uh, Sabrina, from what you discussed about with me the other day, um, the initial way that read was just absolutely uh, mind-bogglingly terrible for the brewing industry, um, because it's yeah, it, it's a, and it'd be very confusing for the consumer. More importantly, uh, by the way that that read, um, this is one of those times we talked about where we all need to get behind and submit and. Um, get the best outcome that we can, which is recognition essentially that 
sugar is no longer sugar once it's been through fermentation, but um, acknowledging that any sugar that's at post then is, and we would have to comply with that, and that nutritional information panels should be done by a QR code. Otherwise, the impact on our industry, just have a think about this for a, for a moment. If you're out there, if you run a brewery or if you like um, the beer from a certain brewery that regularly releases product, this would be destroying. Um, this all this yeah the the cost um, uh, the the cost that this would have is massive. The infrastructure changes that this would have if we were to have the amount of new beers that are hitting the market that currently do, uh, the amount of infrastructure change at breweries and outside uh, aligned businesses is huge. Is huge. Uh, it would change the face of the industry forever in a big way. So. Go and have a read, have a look into it. If you have any questions, call each other and talk to each other about it and just have a think. And I think you'll soon realise how major the impact from this would be. So please, this is when we need to act. I think that's a really good point, um, Ian, and this is sort of part of it. And if you read through the submission, you'll see part of the frustration um, that was probably evident, which is, Fazans are trying to consult on these things in little tiny slices, and I understand why, right? From their perspective, they're trying to consult 100 different food types, 100 different beverage types. They're trying to write regulation that applies to everyone. But in doing so, they're missing the nuances of businesses and, again, how distinct the brewing industry is in relation to the speed of new product to market. And um, I've set out a couple of timetables in um, these submissions that were um, given by one of our member, one of the IBA's members, in response to something in relation to nutrition information panels, and to give um, the industry an insight, you know, using the timetable submitted by the members, a on-label solution would require an additional sixteen days of beer in tank. 16 days per beer in tank to be able to meet a nutritional information panel that's using that's assuming a, a quick turnaround at a um at, at an off-site testing or adopting a calculation method um, but 16 days of additional beer in tank now we extrapolate that out to what does that mean for the speed of new product to market across all of our small to medium breweries and in fact our entire business model uh, and you go we can't afford we can't afford, most breweries can't afford to keep beer for 16 days just so that their label can have a nutrition information panel on it. So the, the stakes are high. This is this specific consultation only relates to the definition of added sugars, but what we have tried to do through the process of, of this is saying stop pretending it's just about this because for us it's about how all of these things interrelate and the cumulative impact of reading the tea leaves and the little tiny lines that are being thrown in that basically say we can see what's coming and we need to head this off right now. Is there something that people can read? And uh, yeah, again, I'm very conscious that there's so much detail in this one that people need to probably go and we need to highlight the importance, but ultimately you know, listeners should go and seek it out or detail somebody in their teams to go and read this stuff and make a submission. Yep, get your brewer, um, Get you know, f and again, who's going to understand what this means? So probably your brewer will understand what it means um, in terms of time in tank and definitions and, and, and calculations and methodologies. 
um, that's who should have a read. But I think for business owners, really being aware that these potential shifts, and I don't want to scare anyone, there's no been no decision that nutrition information panels will be required on beer, but certainly the political wins, the suggestions in the documents um, are that that could be the outcome. And if that is, that has very sizable impacts on the business of beer. So, so okay. Well, I mean, look, all I'm going to say about it, because I think you guys have been fairly thorough, but, you know, the people who, you know, in, in, in one hand could really benefit, but I, you know, it, it's such a serious thing that we don't want to see, you know, too many people having to redo their packaging to include these labels um, every time. But, you know, if, if it did come about, the guys at Rallings, label stickers and packaging could really help you to update uh, your, your labeling if we are hit with these uh, onerous uh, responsibilities and they would be able to help you uh, get through it as best as possible. Uh, beer labels are regarded these days as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand or about the nutrition in the beer that you are drinking. The label is a genuine conversation starter. The label is also providing a new voice to designers and artists with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips. Just brilliant. Seriously though, uh, and very, very seriously, if we are talking about uh, nutrition information panels, uh, to get all of the specs right on your can or bottle uh, and make sure they look the best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can make your brand sing. Um, a couple of things in other news that I don't think we're going to get to. Um, so thanks to Bluestone Yeast, I'll move straight on to our brewery of the week. Uh, Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or looking for uh, weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast have got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call our very good friend Derek on 03 and talk all things yeast. And uh, to Captain's Pick this week, I'm going for my brewery of the week is Heads of Noosa. And I haven't actually been there recently but I was asked uh, yesterday on, on, on the podcast, you know, you know, it's very hard to ask what your favourite beer is, but, um, and I don't have one, but the one that I've just noticed that I've consistently had in my fridge uh, for, for an extended period of time is Heads of Noosa. Um, and the reason that I gave Japanese was because... Lager. <laughs> the, the Japanese lager, um, because it's a beer that I love. So I should say, yeah, the, the Heads of Noosa Japanese lager, um, because... It's a beer that I love to drink. It's my dinner preparation. It's my after a run. It's just a beer that, you know, um, I can enjoy uh, very, very seriously. Um, but it's still, you know, very, very easy to to drink and uh, very, very refreshing. And the, the reason that I really value it is because, you know, when we did the podcast with them going back probably five or six years, you know, they were really zigging when everyone else is zagging they were going lagers they were staying bottles um, at a time that the industry was going fully into cans um, hop driven and it really looks like they've worked out for them and you know I really want to celebrate the way that they have really carved out a niche um, and to me it's a very very important point um, you know I was in a bottle shop recently and there was Asahi, which, you know, I'm often given or bought or, you know, is a beer you have and then Heads of Noosa. And, you know, when you look at the five, six, seven dollar 
price difference for a six pack. Um, you know, it, it, it is well worth it to me for the future of our industry to uh, to support a brand like that. Um, you know, for all that they represent. So, uh, yep. So for my for, for me, uh, heads of Noosa Japanese Lager. How about you guys? What do you guys think of uh, you know their, their range of lagers? I love them. Uh, I had one just the other day. Like actually, I had two. I had their uh, Japanese lager and their Japanese black lager at Lagerpalooza mm. on, on yeah, uh, weekend just passed. I do wish they came in cans, though, because often the, the time I'm wanting to drink a nice little lager like that is, <laughs> is where a can would be um, easier for me. Yeah, and, and that's, oh, look, God, we could probably uh, even open up a whole discussion around that because, yeah, I'm very much the same. You know, if I'm going car camping or things like that, it's the beer that I want to have around the campfire. I actually posted a photo of it, um, you know, when I was camping recently in bottles. And so I agree with you, Ian. But again, you know, I, I, if I'm going to drink out of a package, I do love a bottle. And a lot of their market does seem to be, you know, bottle friendly. It's probably limiting, but, uh, you know, I love seeing it at restaurants and things like that. And as I've said multiple times, I do love a bottle in a restaurant, not a can. Last one uh, for the week. I'm looking, you know, thanks to our very good friends at Beer Fans. Beer Fans creates new fans for your brand. Start selling outside of the same pool of consumers and increase your size of the pie. It's free to feature your beer or merch on the website, with Beer Fans being rewarded only once a new fan is secured for your brand. If you want to put your brand in front of more fans, reach out to the team via email at join at beerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes to start your seven-minute onboarding process. Uh, so thanks to, and look, again, love this one. Ryan Walker, um, I've got to say, Matt, I think your beer for grown-ups is a terrible idea, smiley face. Uh, no one wants to grow up and get old, even you corrected Sabrina, so she didn't say you're older than what you are. Uh, the industry is really struggling to attract a new generation and alienating them by calling them children if they haven't tried beer. They may not have found the right style for that taste is the wrong way to get them on board. Um, it goes on longer. Join the radio. I won't read it all um, for time, um, but it, it was sort of, you know, a very uh, well thought out um, argument um, for his case. Um, and, I, you know, again, I really like the way that he, uh, you know, was willing to take it to me. Um, as I said, there was a great discussion back and forth um, between us. And, uh, you know, as I said, I, I don't, I wasn't actually saying shame them into drinking, but when you look at how effective the Canadian club is of over beer, and you also look that one of the huge things that are stopping people from appreciating beer um, is bitterness. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we point out that bitterness is actually an acquired taste and it's an acquired, and, and it, it's taking some of the, the, the cues that um, the, the, the spirits industry has had and, and making it more sophisticated. And it's not making people seem old and it's not shaming them for being young. But, you know, nobody, as I've said multiple times, you know, people don't sit in a coffee shop ladling uh, six sugars into their coffee or six sugars into their tea because it makes them look like children because that's what children do. And that's the uh, the idea I was getting in. But, you know, I, I, that was one of a number of people who are disagreeing with me and, uh, you know. But I think Ryan's idea is great. Look, I actually, what I loved about this was it is going to take all of us to have good ideas 
to get to what is our core premise for Beer Australia. And so um, I, I read this and I was like, I, I think, you know, Ryan makes some really valid points, which is that, that wine has engaged in, um, as he calls them, great trendy products like Natty Wine, which has a new following with a new generation. His point is, and I just thought this was a fascinating insight into the way somebody else is thinking deeply about how as a category we get beer to be the drink du jour for everyone. Um, and I just loved it. You know, I was going to join the back and forth, um, but decided I'd let you guys have a, have a run at it. Um, and I think we just need all of these ideas. We need all of the ideas. We need to put them all in the hopper and, and keep play, massaging them until we sort of get to places. Or, um, you know, when we have a big budget, we can market test them all and see what happens as a category. We just don't have that money now. Uh, I think I'd just like to point out that I did say last week, Matt, that as much as I liked it, it did need some massaging. Oh, it, it was, need... again, and it was, I was on <laughs> but, a tear. You know, Look, I, I know it was yeah, an idea yeah, that yeah. I've been uh, kicking through. It's why I'm a writer. I still think that. I, th- I still think that that premise um, is is great, and and ultimately sort of what it's taking along similar lines, which is why we input uh, from everyone in our whole industry. And th- just the thought there on on natty wines, natural wines. I'm a big fan, um, many, and uh, particularly pet nats, real real lover of. And I think that's a great example of something that the um, wine industry is doing much better and more mature. Though they are very popular at the moment, particularly with um, many younger generations. Um, but what they've done in order, it's not really a new thing. These are actually um, very, very old uh, way of producing wine. And wine have looked to their past and brought it into the future in order to innovate. So they've innovated based on tradition. And it is uh, a pet nat now is certainly different to what uh, that would have been in 1886. But they've used that there. And rather than they haven't gone and thrown, let's throw fucking Mars bars in the, in our wines and and make a, a, a new uh, a new tile of Snickers Chardonnay. Um, so they have they've done it in a very mature way. They've been innovative. They've given new products to people through looking at what they're doing. And eventually, the way that we're doing pet nat now will go out of fashion and be seen as being the grandma drink in sixty years time. But in ninety five years time, someone will go, oh, remember? You know, they won't remember, but they'll read about how uh, pet nats were approached and done in the early two thousands. If we call that now, this is the early part of the century, and there'll be a new step in addition on there. And in the meanwhile, there'll be a heap of different things that that come and 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 go and be done in a mature way. And that's what I think we need to be, and we need to show that we're mature. We're not just about um, being childish in in our approach, and that is not a thing that we shouldn't innovate and be trying all new things because absolutely we should we we want things to move forward we want to do it and we want to innovate but we actually want to innovate we just don't want to design a car like homer simpson or, or design or as homer simpson said you take an existing product and you add a clock to it <laughs> right look I, I think great discussion uh we'll park everything else we've got a couple of things building up that we'll uh be able to go but thank you to ryan walker if you would like to uh be the letter of the week um you can contact us through producer at brewsnews.com.au or join the conversation that is increasingly active on facebook the radio Bruce news facebook group uh what did i say the password is these days just to see a lot of people have been go- coming in without passwords uh saison. Not soapbox let saison. saison okay saison. it's uh it's the season for saison um and join us or 
uh, and something that we would really like to have you do, like we did last week, uh, leave a speak pipe, or is it a voicemail or a speak pipe? It's called speak pipe. Speak a 90 pipe. second message voice for us that we can play and everyone can hear your dulcet tones uh, and we can respond. Uh, and you can do that. There's a link in the show notes. You, I think it's very easy. Click the link. And if you're listening to us on your phone, you can just sort of speak to us that way. Um, it's so, so simple. That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Cry Malt, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, Beer Fans, and you, our listeners, for your support and making this episode possible. We'll be back next week. We look forward to hopefully you joining us then.